Our scripture this morning comes from Mark 8:22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, yeah, waking up. It's okay, I feel that way also. <laughs> um, for those of you guys who already know me uh, or don't know me, my name is David. Uh, I'm on staff uh, with Adam and Melissa uh, and Stephanie. I'm the pastoral intern here, and uh, you know, being in this job, you wear just a bunch of hats uh, all the time. So. Um, if you haven't uh, met, I would love to meet with you guys. Like Adam said, any of anybody on our staff would love, love to meet with you guys. One thing I do want to note is that Adam just gave us that amazing announcement of the Wisdom Initiative, but I accidentally forgot to hyperlink it, so you can't register. <laughs> so please be on the lookout this coming week. Uh, we'll, we'll send that out to you guys. All right. Um, just to start us off, I, I kind of just want to tell you guys a little bit about myself, uh, about our story. Um, uh, about how I met my wife. <laughs> I know that for some of you guys uh, already know that I'm married to Reagan. I have twin boys, uh, and I have two more twins coming on the way, <laughs> twin girls. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to share with you guys a little bit about our story. Uh, so when I was working down in San Diego about a few years ago, uh, when Pastor Eric was still down there with me as well, uh, I had a buddy. We had a friend named Jason, and Jason uh, was single. I was single. And he was really, really into online dating. He tried every single app. He tried to check out everything. And lo and behold, he found a website dedicated to just missionaries. <laughs> and uh, this was a site that he recommended to me. And I was just about to get shipped off to Thailand. And I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to be in a relationship. I'm not going to meet anybody. I'll just figure it out later. But since it was five bucks, I was like, hey, you know, why not? Let's just give this a shot and see. <laughs> And uh, I, I remember meeting a lot of people on there, uh, but of course, uh, the profile that stuck out to me was Reagan's. And of course, I thought she was uh, attractive and, you know, all the stuff that guys think about. And uh, she was different than a lot of the girls that were on the website. And I'm not trying to make fun of any of the girls on the website, as many of them are really sweet. But, uh, and then many of them love Jesus. That's why they're serving overseas. Uh, but they were very serious. <laughs> Very, very serious, right? And some of the things that they would ask is like, oh, when would it be okay for us to hold hands, right? Or, or they would ask questions like, when would it be okay to flirt, before or after you're married? And you're like, oh no. <laughs> um, but the thing that set Reagan's profile was apart was that she was funny, she cracked jokes, and uh, she didn't take herself seriously. And when asked for a picture, she sent a picture of a nun, you know, just things like that, right? Like, she, she didn't really have that seriousness, and I like that, right? Um, her profile had three non-negotiables. He must like coffee, drive stick, and let me watch The Bachelor. And uh, honestly, I didn't like coffee that much at the time, and I still can't drive stick, and... Uh, 
I know it's kind of embarrassing, but uh, I, I also uh, don't really like The Bachelor. <laughs> um, but I just lolled, I, I just laughed out loud, and then and, and I just sent her uh, a message, and, uh, and I didn't hear back for like a month. <laughs> um, but eventually we became friends and uh, kept in touch through video, voicemail. Uh, we shipped each other, I shipped her cereal, she would ship me Thai snacks, and, uh, and then we were 14 hours apart, so as you know, being long distant was really hard. Uh, but we kept talking to each other, and, and it took about a year and a half before we actually met in person. And the first time that we met in person, it, uh, it was built with so much anticipation. We were so excited, and it was awkward. <laughs> it was a complete letdown. You know when you're like so excited, you're just so passionate, and then you're like, oh, it wasn't that great, you know? <laughs> Um, and, and it's not because she's not great, it's because we were both nervous. And you know, like, when you're so living for the future, you can't enjoy yourself in the moment. And you're so gravitated in the moment to enjoy the moment that you can't still enjoy the moment, right? You're stuck in that weird conundrum. And that's where we were, right? Even though we understood each other, even though we saw each other, we knew what we liked, we knew our favorite hobbies, we saw each other on the screen, but we truly didn't understand each other or understood how to be with each other in person. And so I just want to segue a little bit um, and move into our passage today uh, and talk about another piece of lack of understanding, uh, an unclarity, a two-stage, a two-step process that uh, the disciples were also wrestling with. Sometimes we can see something, but we can see it and understand it is a completely different thing. And in today's passage, we see that Jesus actually uses two steps, right? He first heals the blind man of blindness, and then he heals him of his understanding. And this story is interesting because it's the only story in which Jesus appears to kind of fail, right? But did he? And I would say that he didn't because he's Jesus, he's God, right? And God does not fail, Uh, There's a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones that says this, and he says, There was nothing peculiarly difficult about this case, and the variation in the treatment was not due to such a cause. It was due to our Lord's own determined plan to do the work in a given way in order that he might teach a lesson, give a certain message. In in other words, all of the Lord's miracles are more than events. They are, in a sense, parables as well. And so this method that he teaches us today is shocking because it reveals something about our own hearts, right? About our own ineptness, our own spiritual understanding that these disciples, even though they're observing the process, they too were blind, a different type of blindness. And Jesus uses this circumstance to show that the disciples were too confused, were too offended, um, and they didn't really understand what was going on even though they were with him. And so, if you guys are following along and taking notes, I'm going to be covering three different pieces, right? The first part is the stage of non-understanding. The second is the stage of misunderstanding. And thirdly, the stage of complete understanding. So look with me at verse 22. It says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him to a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so just as Jesus had arrived in Bethsaida, Uh, he encounters this crowd, right? And so this crowd, like Elisha, 
being met with Naaman, who was a, a general back in the Old Testament. He, he had leprosy, and he met Elisha, and he, all he wanted to do was be healed. And so this crowd had a friend, wanted to bring this guy to Jesus and be healed by simply being touched. And what we notice with this is that, isn't it interesting that he doesn't, they don't ask Jesus what to do, they just told him what he should do, right? They came having preconceived notions of what he was about, what he could do for them. But the question is, how does he, they even know, right? How do they even know that Jesus was capable of this? Well, if we zoom out a little bit and go back to the chapters in Mark 5, we see and hear different uh, witnesses where the woman in the crowd, she says, if I could touch his clothes, I will be healed, right? In Mark 5, 5, it says, it is said that wherever Jesus went from towns to villages to the countryside, they put the sick in the marketplaces, asking him to touch his cloak. And you know what? They were all successfully healed. And so in the context of the story, people understand who Jesus is, or so they thought. They saw what he did, and they wanted the abilities, the power that he was able to give to them. They thought that having contact with him would just be enough, right? That's all they wanted. But little did they know that it wasn't just physical healing that they needed. They also needed spiritual healing. But again, friends, this is, this is a picture of us, isn't it? Right? For all of us, in various points of our lives, we usually come to Jesus when we want something from him. But what sets this story apart and what sets Jesus apart from any other healer, from any other magician at the time, was that he is not manipulating the divine to, ser- to serve a human desire, Right? He is God that is demonstrating his love and mercy for the sinner. And now, Jesus, if you can think about this with me, imagine if you had all of his powers, had all of his abilities, and you started healing people left and right. It's kind of hard for us to not want credit, right? We want credit with our kids. We want credit with our family. We want credit. We bring our phone everywhere to document everything, right? And, and, And we want credit And in fact, in our country, if you don't give people credit, there's intellectual laws that bind us to give credit and royalties, right? And so for us at the human level, we can't help but want to receive credit and affirmation and known, but Jesus here doesn't even want that. And if you read all the way to verse 26, right, where does he do? He took them to the empty places, right? Places without the crowd, places where people couldn't just tweet about it, couldn't record and talk about it to other people. He was fully sufficient and confident about who he was and what he was about to do for this man. And he wanted to show the disciples. Look, uh, look with now with me to verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out to the village. And when he spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and he asked him, do you see anything? Now, this is kind of funny because if Jesus is God, doesn't he already know? Doesn't he already know that this man cannot see? But what's interesting about this and intriguing is that Jesus, just because he knows, is inviting this man into a relationship. He wants to know how this man feels, how this man is understanding his situation. And if the disciples can see that the current state is a state of not understanding, right? Because as we move on to the next point, which is a stage of misunderstanding, 
we see that this man is seeing something that he's not supposed to see, which leads us to verse 24. And it says this, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And if uh, and instead of responding in an affirmative yes, the man gives us a very confused answer. And there's two things, right? There's two things that we can recognize in this moment. And the first is that, what is he seeing? Men are not like trees. The only way that you can see something that, like trees and men is that you previously had sight, right? Because otherwise you have no referential point. You have no ontic referent or whatever that you, you memory of what you were seeing in the in the past and i and i think it's worth mentioning however is that our blindness is not quite the same uh, as this man in fact it's much worse right even though this man uh who probably wasn't born blind became blind later on because he's able to recognize these things our own blindness is actually far worse as well as the disciples um, our blindness is congenital, meaning that it's, it's been with us since birth. Uh, it's a blindness that, for somehow, when we look at the things that God has made good in this world, it's not good. It's not attractive. And when we look at the horrible things in this world, right, it doesn't take that long. I mean, just turn, turn on Netflix or HBO, and <laughs> you can see the top ten things, and it's always about sex or power or... Uh, maybe Coco Melon, which is good. But like, there's so many other things, right, that, 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 that the majority of, in the midst of it, 90% of the things that we deem good are not great in the eyes of God. Um, but how do we know this? How do we know that we're actually spiritually blind? Uh, I don't think there's any place that we ought to look other than Scripture. So in Proverbs 29, it says this, Who can say that I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, Surely there is no one righteous on man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And finally, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 10 says, We have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so for those of us, maybe you're here, you're not a Christian, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is great. Like, I don't believe that I'm a bad person, you know. Uh, I believe that I have enough in my life, you know. My intellect is enough. My talent is enough. Um, and really, I'm, I'm happy with my circumstances. You know, there's, there's just no need, right? I mean, God is for the weak. Why would I need a spiritual crutch in my life? But that's the true reality, right? Like, God doesn't open us up to feel that we are strong. He opens us up to see that apart from him, we are nothing. We're weak. And in fact, we would disintegrate if the Holy Spirit wouldn't come in and revitalize our spirit and move in our wills so that we have an inkling, a desire, a new birth that moves us to, to wanting to know him. But unlike this man, because we're congenitally blind, um, we're, for those of us here um, that have become Christians, 
we have moved away from being blind, and now we see, right? But just because we see doesn't mean that we understand. Because remember, there's two steps. The first step was just to heal the blindness, and the second step had to heal the understanding. And there's something very interesting about this, right? I, I was a bio major in college, so I find it really uh, fascinating. Uh, in a book uh, called uh, An Anthropologist on Mars, uh, there's a neurologist, Oliver Sacks, that recalls a story about a patient, uh, patient named Virgil. Virgil was, uh, I think he was blind when he was either really early as a child, um, so he had, like, just as a baby. But for 50 years, he was blind. And it wasn't until uh, 50 years uh, like his early 50s, that he, re he received cataract surgery that started to remove some of those uh, veils that was covering him, right? But once he removed it, Sachs remember uh, coming and visiting him, and he noticed that Virgil was trying to make sense, trying to learn about what he was seeing, right? Virgil could actually distinguish colors, bold motions, uh, immediately after his surgery. Uh, but more subtle aspects of his vision um, continue to make no sense to him. And Sachs actually shares this. He says this, Virgil's cat and dog bounded in to greet and check us. And Virgil, we noted, had some difficulty telling which was which. This comic, embarrassing problem had persisted since he returned home from surgery. Both animals, as it happened, were black and white. And he kept confusing them. And to their annoyance, until he could touch them, too. Further problems became apparent as we spent the day with Virgil. He would pick up some details incessantly, an angle, an edge, a color, a movement, uh, but not, would not be able to synthesize them and to form a complex perception at a glance. And this was one reason the cat, visually, was so puzzling. He could see a paw, the nose, the tail, an ear, but could not see all of them together to see a cat as whole. And I think this is very insightful, even though it's a biological problem for someone who basically received their sight and cognitively could not even make sense of their situation. I think it points to a parallel to our spiritual reality. Just because God has opened our eyes today doesn't mean that we understand the reality of what's happening, right? Men are not like trees, and yet this is the perception of a restored sight. And even though the man didn't understand, Jesus understood, and he was trying to make a point. He was trying to show that even though this man became blind or was born blind, he still needed more. He needed his understanding to be healed. And I have one more illustration to give you guys. I know for some of us, if you're like me, um, you struggle with the way that God reveals his word to you. I've always wondered, like, why does God have to speak to us through the Bible? Like, why can't he just show up, talk to me, speak to me in a dream, like, speak to me on YouTube, or just, just do something that's, like, magical, amazing, because I think that's all the references that you see in movies, right, and all those types of things. But I think one thing that I forget is that in every new country that you visit, right, you have to learn a new language, right? For those of us who have traveled, you know that when you leave this country and you, you enter into another kingdom or another um, continent, there are rules and customs that you have to follow. I think Pastor Paul talked about this. There's a regime change, right? But anytime that we travel and we cross the borders from country to country, there are new expectations of us, 
right? There are new ways of doing things. There are new ways that we connect to each other. And wouldn't it be strange if you landed in Thailand or Vietnam or Japan or Mexico and you demanded, I think some people do it anyways, but you demanded, do it the American way, right? I mean, unfortunately, we do that and we get ourselves into a lot of trouble that way, right? But the, but the idea is this. It doesn't just apply to countries. It applies anywhere we exist. You go into a company. They expect you to live a certain way, to speak a certain way, to follow a certain protocol. You can't just treat patients the way that you want to. You can't just gossip about, it, about them. You get in a lot of trouble, right? HIPAA violations, all these violations, right? You live in Irvine, you can't put a succulent on the wall unless you get violated and, and they, they get mad at you for doing certain things like that. There are laws and stipulations that is demanded of you if you want to stay there, right? But God doesn't force us to live in his kingdom. He invites us to live in his kingdom. And how arrogant would it be for us to demand him to speak to us in the way that we want him to? We don't demand this of each other. We don't demand this in our cities. We don't demand this in our nations, and yet we demand this of the Almighty God, right? But at the same time, it's not to be ashamed of the fact that Jesus is willing to meet us where we are. And this is where we see the significance of the healing process, is that it brings to us the reality of the spiritual state of the disciples, right? Jesus knew they couldn't see clearly, He knew that, and that's why he broke up this miracle that way, to show them that even though you spent all the time with me, you still don't get it. Uh, One scholar says this, Mark clearly uses the first stage of healing to distinguish the disciples' myopia uh, from the blindness of the outsiders, the Pharisees, Herod, and his own hometown and family. Their calling and response, their special privilege uh, as constant companions and recipients of Jesus' instruction Uh, And their sharing in Jesus' ministry demonstrated their having experienced the first touch. That's us too, right? If if we're Christians today, that's us too. But only a fine line separated their myopia from uh, blindness as seen by the warning about 11 of the Pharisees and Herod, which is just preceded. But this is us, right? All of us spend a lot of time uh, in our families, in our churches, and we do car washes, we sing, we serve the poor, and yet there are many moments in our hearts that start to wander. And that's the truth is that we still can't fully distinguish what is good and what is bad, right? That's why you see abuses in churches. That's why you see the separation of agreements in churches. That's why you see pastors fighting with each other about frivolous things because they too suffer from this blindness because we all, and myself included, still suffer from a blindness that we haven't fully eradicated. And so Jesus, as you know, uh, is always, you know, there's always points in the scriptures where Jesus is mad at the disciples, right? Like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? You know, like, they forgot to bring bread. If you, if you read in the early parts of, of Mark 8, you see that they had forgotten to bring bread, and he starts talking about, um, you know, the leaven and bread with Herod, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, he's probably mad at me. Um, and he says this to them. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear? 
And you do not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of the broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you still not yet understand? And I think this should be a very, very encouraging point. The disciples were the best of the best in terms of the Christian church, right? They gave us the Bible. They gave us everything that we need today to live and and understand who Jesus is. And yet they were a complete mess. They didn't know what to do in a lot of situations. And yet God loved them. God continued to heal them. And you know what? In verse 23, he does this for the blind man. He does this for us. What do you see? And this is why we can rest in the fact and the assurance that God is continuing to work through us. And the Holy Spirit is not ashamed of us, right? He knows we have this blindness. And so it's worth noting uh, is that Jesus has no problem, right? He has no problem being able to heal this man instantly, right? He didn't have to break it into two pieces. He didn't have to like slow down or, or, or pause, The reason why he did this is that he's interested um, in every person, right? Every single miracle that you read in the Bible is different. There might be some nuances, right, to it. There might be some, you know, use of spit here, no touch there, this, you know. but, But all in all, it's different. And I think it talks about that because of the fact that Jesus cares about each individual. And, and that's significant. And that's for something that we should rejoice in and come to him full-heartedly and knowing that, that, uh, that he cares for us that way. And that leads us to our final point, And this is the stage of complete understanding. So follow with me to verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And so Jesus continues to heal this man at his own pace, right? And instead of repeating the process, he touches the man's eyes and the healing is completed. And this man's eyes have obviously become better. Um, It's become clear. Uh, But it's a complete healing of his physical nature, right? And if we think about this, the physical nature of healing in this life has not occurred yet. It's something that we as Christians hope that someday when God comes again, he will raise us up and we would have new bodies, right? new eyes, new abilities to see. But in this time, our main focus still is to understand that God is interested in the two-step process for all of us, many of us, and it's individualized, right? Um, and ultimately, the purpose of this man's healing is to encourage us and to encourage the disciples uh, to bring us back into a relationship with him, right? Jesus is really here to deliver people out of their bondage of sin and death. And the only way that this happens is through faith. And faith is only the first part of the healing process. And as you know, just because you believe in Christ doesn't mean that your life is handy-dandy and it's going to be amazing and you won't suffer, right? It's in the, the beginning of the second stage of healing that we start to understand, right? 
we're kind of in that phase right now of not yet, right? Paul, Pastor Paul talked about that last week where the already but not yet, where Jesus has arrived, he has healed us, but not everything uh, has fully manifested itself. And so for all of us here today, you know, whether we struggle with uh, our family members, our brokenness and our, our own understanding of who God is, and like the blind man, um, we have to remember that our initial healing is just getting started. Um, when we lack patience with one another uh, at church or at work, we have to remember that we were once blind, just like that person we're mad at, right? When we lack patience with our parents' kids, uh, we remember that they are still blind, but we're also blind too. When we lack patience with ourselves and we feel like, you know, I got to just be better. I can't keep making the same mistake, you know, because everybody is mad at me or my wife depends on it, my husband depends on it, my kids depend on it. But we remember that Jesus saved us when we were still completely blind. And when we lose hope and we think that, oh gosh, like I'm going to be stuck here. And um, it's not going to change. This is going to keep going. We have to remember that Jesus is not going to abandon you. He's not going to abandon me. And he's going to keep carrying that on. And when he does finish the healing, it will be good. And it will be made new. And in this life, as long as we have breath, it's hard. Right? Everything is hard. You're single, it's hard. You're married, it's hard. You know, like... You don't have friends, it's hard. You have friends, it's hard. Like, it, like, whatever we face in this life is hard. And I think for Peter, when he realized in the process of the second healing, when he realized that Jesus was going to be crucified and he was going to na- be nailed to the cross, he couldn't take it, right? He, he was so mad at Jesus. He's like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to die, right? But then Jesus rebukes him. He says, you don't understand. I need to die. I need to die so that you would live. But this is not an understanding that we're willing to do. I think sometimes when we follow Jesus, we don't think that we're going to suffer. We think that our lives will be better. We see glimpses that it will be better, but it's not a complete picture, right? And we have the notion if for those of us who are not believers and we think that if we believe in Jesus, our life will be better, it's not going to be like that. Or if you're a believer for a long time and you believe in Jesus and you serve in church and now someone hurt you in church, this is terrible. And so you want to give up hope and you leave the church or you leave your community group or whatever. Uh, that's not the understanding of what Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us that In this life, we continue to persevere until the end, and it's not until the final step in death when we finally meet Christ. And until then, we continue to have our vision be healed, continue to be uh, cleared up. And I think a scholar captures this really well. He says, the first healing touch for them will come on the roads to, uh, to Philippi, when Peter uh, declares that Jesus is Messiah, the disciples will no longer be blind, but their vision will remain imperfect and blurred. For they do not understand the meaning of Messiahship. Only at the cross and the resurrection will they, like the man at Bethsaida, see everything clearly. 
And so like the rest of the, the stories in the gospel, we see that as we are continuing to push on in our Christian life, you know, we're, we're still on a journey, on a journey to the age to come. And the Lord is with us. The Lord is walking with us. And even when we fall and we stumble, we have each other to get each other up from our blindness. And, I, and take comfort in this because this is what is said in Second Peter 3.9. I'll close with this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should read, reach repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for today. I know so much in my own heart. I still struggle so much with blindness. We all do. Um, but Lord, we ask that as we continue to press on and trust you in the process of healing, that we would not lose heart. And Lord, thank God that even when we do lose heart, you are the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. Once you start something, you're not going to leave us. You're going to complete that good work. And Lord, we give you so much thanks for that. And help us, Lord. Help us to continue to persevere in love and joy until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.